0: I'm really humbled to, um, to be able to share with you, as Jamie said, the opportunity to, uh, to serve in an interim role. If you're, if you're new, if you're brand new, like this is your first Sunday, uh, the idea of an interim or what that means might might not uh, connect with you today. But uh, this church has some leadership transition happening, and uh, uh, I've known or been around this church for a long time, even though I haven't been directly connected to the church. I work with a college ministry in Boston and in Providence called Sojourn Collegiate Ministry, uh, my name is, is Tim Hawkins, and um, we've uh, I come up from the Boston area to, to be with you all. And um, it's, it's a real um, humbling thing to be able to do that. I was thinking about that on the drive up this morning, that um, being able to, to share with a community in an interim place is, well, it's a privilege, it's an honor, and it also means like just the time we spend together in Scripture is uh, very meaningful because it'll be a short amount of time. And then there'll be other people who come in and will lead this community. But I want to thank you for for your welcome to to be a part and to journey uh, this with you. And and I guess I want you to also know that if you're new uh, or if you've been around for a while, um, please feel free to connect with me after the gathering or if you're here early before the gathering. If I can be of help in a pastoral way um, during that time, I'm certainly glad to do so. And and I know there's a group of elders and leaders here who are doing an amazing job uh, working through that. I'll probably say this every week, but um, I bring my Bible with me because I do read it and it's important. But uh, for the stage, it's very, very not good for me. Okay, I've reached the stage where my eyes cannot handle this book from the stage. I can handle it at home because I can control the lighting, but uh, I cannot do that. I cannot do that here. But rest assured, the scriptures are there and in the message. Um, I want to begin this morning. Last week, we we started uh, looking at Let me say this. Next week, we're going to start a series in the book of Luke. It's helpful for me to get my feet underneath me, to get to know you all a little bit better and kind of enter into the space relationship-wise. Speaking is not a disconnected thing for me. So uh, I'm not someone who can come in and grab messages uh, that maybe I've done five years ago and come in and speak because speaking is relational. So me speaking to you and your response back to me is how I thrive, Okay. So if you don't respond when I ask a question, this will get really long and boring sometimes, I can tell you that. Uh, but that's what speaking is to me, is it's a relational engagement as we go through. So uh, I really appreciated that last week and, uh, and wanted to kind of set the stage for this week and, or last week and this week. It's really about sharing some things that are kind of anchoring to my life and to my faith before we move into a series in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to take Luke from the beginning all the way through to Easter, and probably one Sunday after Easter. And as we go through the book of Luke, uh, we're going to talk about what it looks like to prepare for purpose, preparing for our purpose. We're going to look in the middle section of Luke, it's like a middle third, where Jesus goes through a country called Samaria, and he teaches, he has some incredible teaching through that, that we're going to talk about what it looks like to live our life, essentially in a, in a different place, kind of a sojourn, which is why we call the ministry we do. And then the last part will be what what our life looks like in resurrection. So it's, it's preparing the way to life, and that's how we're gonna look at this, this uh, book of Luke from now until, or from next week until the end. But today is the second week, and I wanted to kind of anchor to these two passages. So last week we talked about three words, two stories, and one takeaway, okay? The three words were but some doubted. Okay, but some doubted. The two stories, one is before the resurrection of Jesus and one is after. The one that's before the resurrection of Jesus is the one where Peter, uh, who is a follower of Jesus, uh, sees Jesus walking on water and he says, I'd, I'd love to do that too. I'd love to come to you on the water. Jumps out of the boat, gets in the water, walks on water for a little bit, notices the wind and the waves and begins to sink, cries out to Jesus, Jesus reaches out and saves him from going under the water. They climb up into the boat, and it says that the apostles there on the boat worshiped. The second story is a story from the end of Jesus' life after the resurrection, where Jesus meets his disciples on a mountain, and they come to the mountain, and Matthew uses those three words, but some doubted, in the midst of this other idea that they worshiped. And so I want to anchor in then this morning, not to the last one we talked about, the takeaway, which is we put our faith in people and not information. We put our faith in people, and in particular, we put our faith in the person of Jesus and not information. And this week, I want us to take a look at this uh, companion uh, to doubt in those texts, which is worship. What comes to mind immediately in your head? uh, And again, I want you to understand, I, you're probably thinking there's probably a right answer to this. Then there's also the answers that just flood into our head. So when I say the word worship, what immediately comes to your mind? When I say worship, what is worship? What comes to your mind? Did I hear praise? Is that praise or praising? Yeah. What else? Singing? Melody? What else? What's that? Idol. Idol. Humbling. Worship. Yep. If you were to ask Google, what is worship? Because that's where we get all our good answers, right? Uh, You will see, if you go to images, page after page after page after page has pictures of people singing and their hands lifted in the air. My less famous namesake, sorry, I'm going to come back to that, come back to that slide in a second. Here we go, yeah. My less famous namesake, a comedian named Tim Hawkins, has actually organized these arm-raising techniques for worship, if you've never seen this before. So he talks about these uh, several things, like the rookie stage, which is the hands in the pocket and the elbow flap, okay? I, if you, I don't quite get to the elbow flap, but I'm a swayer, hands in the pockets and a swayer. Uh, the carry the TV and then go big screen, right, if you get a little bit more expressive. He done that. Uh, you have the immediate line, my fish was this big. And when he does the bit, he says, and if you're a liar, it's this big, right, for the fish. Uh, Hold my baby, Muf- Mufasa, right? <clears throat> uh, Dueling light bulbs, okay, does that one. Uh, my favorite, because I do do this sometimes, which is goalpost heartburn. <laughs> goalpost heartburn. <laughs> That's the one that I I, I do, um, Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom, and then you got village people. Rocky touchdown, which is appropriate for today. So I, I grew up around a primitive Baptist church. Okay, my mom and my father and their family were all heavily involved, and I went on occasion. Everything you need to know about that church, and sometimes my mom will listen to these messages online. And she would agree. Everything you need to know about that church is found in the name, Primitive Baptist Church. Okay. The idea that anything close to, to raising hands or swaying would have been, uh, I, I can't imagine what it would have been like, although they did have incredible singing because it was an a cappella church. Every a cappella church you go to, they're just incredible singers. And so we had these, these people who would lead just big, bold singers and harmony. It was amazing, but nowhere close to lifting up hands, worship. But that's become so tied to our concept Of worship is this idea of how we sing and how we raise our hands and so today I want to pull back just a little bit from this kind of very specific view of worship and we're just going to kind of pull way back a little bit and we're going to look at the totality of what worship actually is all the way through scripture we're going to do that through a particular story today but first I want to say this uh, because I didn't really know, I, I went off to college, and uh, Jesus got a hold of my life in college, which is why I do college ministry now. And my life was dramatically changed. And uh, honestly, when, when I started going to like, church and like, Christian fellowships, and I picked up a Bible. I mean, I knew, the, I knew the Bible was like this holy thing. But honestly, it could have been written at the same time as the Declaration of Independence, or 200 years before, or 1,000. Like, I had no concept of the historical nature or the relationship between that book and history and then how it all kind of fits together today. So I don't make any assumptions when I speak, when we talk about the Bible and, and jump in. And so this might be like old school for you, and you may know all this stuff, but if, if you were like me and stepped into this uh, new uh, this might be a little bit uh, new information to you, but it's helpful to get some context. The Old Testament, which is like the essentially the the front two thirds of this book, okay, the first two thirds of it, we sometimes call the Old Testament, or maybe more readily, it's called the Hebrew Bible, and this is the story of the history of the Jewish people, the story of the history of Israel, and generally speaking, scholars believe it was written somewhere between. We're going to use round numbers, okay? 1400 and 400 BCE, so before the birth of Christ. So approximately 3,000 to 3,500 years ago, okay? And we have incredible archaeological and textual um, uh, data and manuscripts to be able to, to recover so much of this. It's really amazing. And the stories that are there, okay? The back part of our book, of the Bible is the New Testament, often referred to as the New Testament. And it was written between 40 and 100 A.D. And it contains the stories of Jesus and Jesus' life after his resurrection. But the way the disciples saw that, the way the writers of the New Testament saw Jesus' story, was directly embedded to that Old Testament story of the Jewish people and the Hebrew story. So the idea or the concept of worship, when we look at it in totality, is not just sort of one thing that we look at maybe in Jesus and Jesus' stories that we just looked at, but kind of in this embedded in what it was in the Old Testament as well. Quick survey, if you were to look through and do a search for the, the, the term worship in Scripture, you'll find that it's used about 250 times or 280 times, depending on how you want to translate particular words. In the Old Testament, the first two-thirds of the Bible, it's used approximately 279 times, okay, 279 times. In the New Testament, 75 times. So it is, obviously, if we wanted to do that today, it would take us a long time to do a word study, right? But it's worship, the idea, concept of worship is full in Scripture, We begin with it in Genesis, and actually all the way to Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. In fact, in the very last book of the Bible in Revelation, which is about what things are going to be like when God makes everything right, when everything is made right, a quarter of all the references to worship are found in Revelation in the New Testament, one quarter. Pretty amazing. And that's what things are going to look like when everything is made right in the world. So... If we look at this concept of worship, I want to give you a couple of ideas that, again, pull us back from singing and praise into kind of a holistic overview, Old Testament, New Testament. We're not going to do one verse at a time, but I am going to give you a couple of anchor verses, okay? Uh, Psalm verse, uh, chapter 29, verse 2 says this, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor and holiness. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in splendor and holiness. The second one is Psalms 95, verses 5 through 7. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Now, because we don't have time to go through every single passage, I want to offer you just kind of a a general survey Definition of worship this morning. My mouth is very, very dry this morning. Here's a definition I want to kind of work with together. What we see as we kind of survey these scriptures is that worship is ascribing greatness to God and our dependence upon God. There's the act of ascribing that God is other and greater than me, but also that I'm dependent Upon God. And both ideas are central for us to actually really enter into worship. Now, if you're, you know, here for the first time, sort of listening to the Jesus story as I was, trying to figure out what all these things mean and, and you put them together. First, I just want to commend you for like taking the step of being here and listening and being a part and learning. But second, is that everybody all of us have things that we worship in our life. When you think about it through that lens, what are the things that you ascribe greatness to and align your life to? Describe, uh, ascribe greatness to and act like we depend on it. If we were to kind of do a survey, I think there are things that we would see like, certainly there have been times, even as a pastor, that I've worshiped my job and my career Maybe you have felt that at times, that that is, what, that is the greatness that I can leave behind. We sometimes do it with celebrity or sports. We certainly do it with money, and Jesus talked about that a lot. We do it with our lifestyle. We also do it with our time. We hold on to it. We We hoard it. We ascribe greatness to time and our dependence upon time. But you know, one of the things that, probably we worship most is our family. We ascribe greatness to our family and our dependence on our family. That's a tough one, right? Because even saying it and talking about it, I have to tell you, even writing about it, I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable about it. So I'm like, well, yeah, your yeah, your family should be up there, right? Like faith, family, football, whatever it is, right? It's like, these are the order of things. This is how you do it. faith, fam. But in reality, very often, Even if you already are a believer, we flip them and we ascribe greatness to our family and our dependence upon it. So it's interesting to think about things both that Jesus said but as well as how these stories were played out. The very first time the word worship is used in Scripture, I should say it's actually the third time, but the first two times are in reference between one human and another. And so it's somebody in a lower caste honoring someone with a greeting who is of a higher honor than them, but the first time it's used to ascribe greatness to God is found in Genesis chapter 22. It's kind of a long text. I'm going to breathe and try to read through this for us together, okay, but hang on and read this text because I think it's it's really kind of a place for us to, to understand worship today. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Immediately, I'm like, I'm out, okay? It's just, I, I don't even, I, it's hard for me to imagine where the story could go from here that is redeeming in a way that, that I could understand who God is to ask me to offer my son, my only son, whom I love, as a sacrifice in that moment. But Abraham, early the next morning, got up and loaded his donkey, he took him with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, you'll also notice some parallels here, by the way, between Jesus and the way Jesus is described as God's one and only son who God gives as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Remember, these were written at least a couple of thousand years apart, okay, between this story and that story. But you see how this story is embedded in that story, right? They saw Jesus very much through this lens of Abraham and Isaac. Jesus was raised on the third day, and here we have on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servant, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Then he says, We will worship and we will come back to you. Hold that phrase in your head. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. So Isaac is carrying the wood upon which he would be sacrificed. And his father is carrying the knife and the fire. Isaac spoke up, as I would, I think, in that moment. Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham offered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But an angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, and he took the ram and sacrificed it as the burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord Will Provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. A few observations here. Uh, Abraham was not told by God to go to the mountain or to go to Moriah and worship. He was told to go offer a sacrifice, his son. But Abraham is the one who says, me and the boy will go over and worship, and then we will come back to you. So Abraham equated this ask from God to offer his son as an act of worship, to ascribe greatness to God and what? our dependence upon God. Somehow, when Abraham was asked to offer up Isaac, he didn't respond with the same sort of aghast uh, perspective that you and I might think about it. Child sacrifices were not uncommon in the ancient world. In fact, they were a common way in which gods were appeased. What is uncommon in the story is that God in this story intervenes. The idea of offering up his son was not the thing that was surprising in the story to Abraham. What was surprising was that God would actually step in and intervene within the story. Here's the other thing that I think is kind of, kind of interesting. Scholars say that uh, Isaac would have been somewhere between the ages of 13 and 20. I have a 26-year-old son and a 22-year-old son. Two things I can guarantee you. They could outrun me, for sure. And one of them at least could beat me up, I'm confident, if not both of them. And so I'm thinking about Isaac in this whole story, right? How easy it would have been for Isaac to say, yeah, I'm not. You're not, you're not binding me. You're not, you're not tying me down. I can outrun you, and I can outfight you. So that's not happening. But there's a sense in which Isaac also is complicit in the worship. Both Abraham and Isaac offer themselves in this moment as an act of worship, ascribing greatness to God and their dependence upon God. Abraham doesn't respond in that kind of offended way that we might think he would, but God intervenes. Sometimes humbling, that word we talked about earlier, someone mentioned earlier, is an act of our body and a participation in worship that is sometimes expressed in singing. But there are all kinds of ways that you and I need to think about how we actually place our bodies in a perspective of worship. How do we enter into a place in our mind, our heart, and our bodies to be able to say, God, you are greater than me, and I am totally dependent on you. Very often we think, if it's going to be authentic, then I need to feel it. I need to feel it. Or I need to know it. Or I can't act. But in fact, our bodies are wired to be holistic. Where sometimes the very action that we do is more authentic than our feelings and our mind. There was a a time I was... um, on a spring break trip with a bunch of college students who really were just not being very great that day. Just, it was a tough day. It was on a mission trip. It's our last day. Everybody's tired. We've been sleeping on floors and sleeping bags. And uh, it'd been a great week, but this day was just tough because we'd been on the road. And um, they wanted to stop at Willow Creek, which, if you don't know, is, is a big mega church in Chicago. And I, I, I had zero interest in doing this, like zero. I was against it, but I was, I was letting our leaders lead, so we went. And I decided, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to the upper level, away from everybody, because I don't want anybody to see how really kind of terrible I am right now. Okay, so I was just, just in a bad mood. You know those days, just like, I'm not feeling it today. I don't want to sing, I don't want to worship, I don't, don't want to be here, period. So I go up to the balcony and... And the band starts playing this song, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord shall be praised. And they, they do it five times, six times. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord shall be praised. It just goes on and on and on and on. It's like just grating my nerves. Like it's just like, I can't, come on. we got to know another song. It's Willow Creek, right? And so I just found my body like tensing up. I don't know if you've ever been there. Like the Sundays you don't want to, like you just like, I want to. I just don't want to be here. I don't want to do this thing today. It actually doesn't even matter if it's church. Like we it could be work. How we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, like how we show up in our presence, in our bodies, matters in every relationship. And I'm standing up there. I'm like, I don't want to be here. I can feel my body tensing up. And again, I, I already told you, I, you know, I grew up around Prunet Baptist Church. I'm not like Mr. Charismatic Guy, but I, I had this feeling of God sort of nudging me that I wasn't going to get through this until I got on my knees and started to sing. It's like, yeah, that's not happening. I mean, I was just, it was like this inner dialogue of like, no, no. It's like, okay, I'll get on my knees. So again, this is like, I can't even tell you how many times he did this song. It had to have been 15, 20, I don't know. Enough time for me to argue with myself for a while, so... I get down on my knees, and then I, I have this feeling of, you need to lift your hands. So it's like, okay. And I, I lifted my hands. And it wasn't too long after that, we went through it one or two more times, the words start coming to me. And I'm not kidding you, like tears just began to just fall down my face for no good reason except that I was broken in that moment. It wasn't because my heart felt it, it wasn't because I, I, I'm like, yeah, we need to do this, and I'm all in or that my mind knew it, it was that I placed my body in a worshipful position to humble myself and remind myself that God is great, that I am not, and I'm dependent upon God. Very often that has to come through our bodies because our mind and our heart might not feel it. The two words that are used to describe worship, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament word is shaka. And it literally means to bow down, prostrate before people, to honor them. Very often it would be kissing the ground or kissing the feet before them. The New Testament word is proskunoio, and it means to kiss towards. It's a similar idea. It's to bow down and to offer a kiss of reverence, to kiss the hand. But both involve this idea of doing something with our body that shows honor and respect. And so I want to sit with this for just a second as we move towards a close. That's my alarm, by the way. (laughs) What is it that is holding you back today from worship? And if you think it's not authentic for you to to physically enter that space because your mind and your heart isn't there, then I I would offer you that, that all the way through Scripture, worship is always connected to something that we do with our bodies. And often our heart and our mind follows. Jesus said whoever wants to lose his life, whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I think also family is that thing we worship, but if we were to be honest, most often the thing that gets in our way is, is the worship of ourselves. I love the way Eugene Peterson, who translated the Message Bible, used, like kind of unpacks this verse. It says, Jesus went to says, <clears throat> Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who att- intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way of finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself in the process? What could you ever trade for your soul? We're honest most days, the thing that gets in our way is the worship of me. And in my experience, the only thing I found so far to get past that is placing myself, my body, in a position of worship. I want to offer you three things as we close today about humbling our mind, our heart, and our body. The first, in humbling our mind, Paul would say this way to the Philippians whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Offer your mind as a living sacrifice in that way. Every time your mind moves towards something that's not honorable, pivot towards that which is honorable. Humbling our heart before Jesus. Isaiah twenty-nine thirteen, embedded in the Old Testament concept of worship. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules that they've been taught. We want to pivot away from our surface level concepts of worship to a deep sense of turning my heart and very often that comes by putting our bodies in a place of humility. And I'm going to end here. I always end up one one extra page so I'm going to end here. The most Impactful thing I've seen in helping people do that is the, the practice of baptism. When I did that for the first time, the, well, how Paul describes it is that we lay down our life and we are dead in the likeness of Christ's death and we raise in the likeness of his resurrection. What a beautiful concept of worship that in this moment. I need to acknowledge, God, my dependence upon you and your greatness. And so I lay my whole body in your hands to death and to resurrection. And I can tell you based on last week, it doesn't take a lot of faith to just simply be desperate and reach out to God. I don't know where else to turn. And ultimately, that's what worship looks like. Let's pray. Father, today, sometimes we get stuck in just a a surface-level idea or we replace worship with, with something that doesn't really ascribe greatness to you or our dependence upon you. God, very often, the thing we worship most that we ascribe greatness to and we depend on is our family and ourselves. Today, we want to just offer a sense of repentance for that, We want to lay that before you and tell you, God, that some days we doubt and some days that's hard, but we come back to this moment today to simply say, you are great, we're dependent upon you, and God, may may our singing even today be an act of worship. May the way we interact with our family the rest of the day be an act of worship. May we place our bodies in circumstances throughout this week that glorify you and you only, even, even, if it's at the sacrifice of ourselves. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.